read this story this week about a letter that a little boy named Johnny sent home to his mom and dad from camp. He said, Dear Mom and Dad, our scoutmaster told us all to write to our parents in case you saw the flood on TV and were scared. Don't worry, we're okay. Only one of our tents and two of our sleeping bags got washed away. <laughs> Don't worry, luckily none of us got drowned because we were all up on the mountain looking for Chad when it happened. Oh yes, please call Chad's mother and tell her he's okay. He can't write because of the cast. Don't worry. I got to ride in one of the search and rescue jeeps. It was neat. We never would have found him in the dark if it hadn't been for the lightning. Scoutmaster Long got mad at Chad for going on a hike alone without telling anyone. Chad said he did tell him, but it was during the fire, so he probably didn't hear him. Don't worry, the fire didn't hurt anything very much, just burned part of the chow hall. Scoutmaster Long said we'll have to wash the black stuff off the meat that used to be in the cooler, but he said it would be all right. Don't worry, love Johnny. <laughs> How many of you think when Johnny writes don't worry in that letter, his parents take much comfort from it? No, what are they going to do? They're going to hop in their car and head down to that camp right now because Johnny's saying, don't worry. But when they look at all the circumstances around what's going on, they're saying, how can I not worry? And I, I wonder, if we, we look at that scenario and then we, we are going to be looking at a passage where Jesus tells us today, don't worry. And I wonder how many of us, we look around at the world around us, the world that's quickly changing right in front of our eyes. And we hear Jesus' words saying, don't worry. We look at the circumstances and say, really, Jesus, don't worry? Are you serious? And I want to say this morning that, that he is serious. He is serious when he says, do not worry. And part of our problem is our, our aim... Where, where we're focused is, is too low often in this life. We're focused on things of this world. And Alexander McLaren says this, Whoever sets his heart on the uncertainty of anything below the changeless God will without doubt be driven from hope to fear, from joy to sorrow, and his soul will be agitated. What I contend this morning is that all too often our focus is too low and the, the thrust of this message is for us to lift our aim higher. It's the thrust, I believe, of what Jesus is getting at in this story. We're going to see a man who is aiming too low and maybe we relate to him because we do this sometimes too. He's a man that was completely focused on the material. Okay, Jesus has been teaching about lofty things. If you remember last week, he's saying, hey, if you are faithful to me in this world, if you confess my name, I will confess you to the Father. You talk about lofty spiritual truth. All right? In the middle of that conversation and other spiritual things, this man walks up, says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What? Talk about a shift in gears. Jesus is talking about eternity and recognition before the Father. And this guy says, Jesus, I want my money. Tell my brother to give it to me. This guy's aiming entirely too low. And you can tell by Jesus' response that that's the way Jesus felt. Jesus replied, Man, 
And that's not the warmest way to address someone. It's kind of like <laughs> Jesus addresses a lot of people a lot of ways. Man, <laughs> it's the equivalent of our mister today, but maybe even strong. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And this is an interesting statement because God has given Jesus the right to judge. But what he's saying is I'm not interested in this, this petty dispute right here. One man said it this way, Jesus came to bring men to God, not property to men. Sometimes we get that wrong. We get that focus wrong. This, this man had it wrong. And Jesus has the unique ability to get to the heart of this guy's problem. He said to them, the crowd watching on, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. When he says, watch out, when he says, be on your guard, I think about a youth leader that I had growing up named Roger Johns. He used to tell us this story all the time, and you can imagine a, a group of youth just, we, we lost it every time he told it. He was a great storyteller as well, but he was in Vietnam, and they were in a camp, and every night they, they would post a, a guard. They would post a guard, and the guard took his job very seriously because it was life and death, right? So one night, they're all sleeping, Roger's sleeping, and all of a sudden they hear the machine gun open fire. <laughs> they all jump up and, and they say, the guard, what happened? He said, I, I heard something over here. And they, they all go out, you know, cautiously, carefully together to see what, what is it. What do they find? They find a cow <laughs> with 30 to 40 rounds from the machine gun. <laughs> They were serious about guarding their camp, so much so that they heard a noise and they killed a cow with a machine gun. They, they weren't taking any risks because it was life and death. That's the kind of terminology Jesus is using about greed. He said, you can't be passive about this. You can't be lazy about this. Be on guard against greed. Why? Because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And when he uses the word life here, there's different Greek words for life. One is bios. That's basically like just your body, living, breathing, cells, all that stuff. And then there's zoe, which refers to meaningful life. It refers to peace and joy and the blessing that can only come through Jesus Christ. He's saying real life does not come through possessions, even if you have an abundance of them. Abundance means just what it sounds like, this overflow. you got more than you need. It's, it's coming out your ears. Even there, life is not found. He says elsewhere that a man cannot serve two masters, either love God or love money. You can't do both. He doesn't say you shouldn't. He says you cannot. So this man's aiming too low. Jesus is going to tell a parable to help this man readjust his sight. How many... Uh, George, I know you're a shooter. Any other shooters in here that use guns with sights? All right. He's going to tell the man, you need to adjust your aim, adjust your sight. Don't settle for the material. And he tells a great story. Verse 16. Told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. I want you to listen for all the personal pronouns in this and you tell me, based on the pronouns used in this story, where this rich man's focus is, okay? He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Where's the man's focus? Right here. My, myself, I. It's all right here. But God said to him, what, what, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You talk about a contrast in statements. What did the man just said to himself? Sounds pretty good, right? You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. God says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared? Jesus gets to the point of this parable. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This man made the mistake that we make sometimes. We think this life and the things we gain in this life are all there is. We, we, we're lulled into the illusion that this is it. And we need to get a grander perspective of eternity. One man painted eternity like this. He said, if, if this life is a grain of sand on a beach, eternity is all the grains of sand on all the beaches in all the world. And he said, you're focused on that one little grain of sand. Francis Chan painted the picture with a rope. If you may have seen it on YouTube. He takes a rope and wraps it around a room multiple times. Most of the rope is white. And just the tip of the rope, he, he has colored black, about a foot. There's about a foot that's black and about 100 or 200 feet that are white. And he says, this, this rope is like life. The, the little foot there, that's this life. And the rest of this rope is eternity. And he, he talks about the irony that how many of us spend so much time focusing on the foot when there's hundreds of feet that we have forgotten about. That was the, the fatal mistake this man had made. It wasn't that he, he was wealthy wasn't that he was rich. He probably worked hard for that. He probably planted that or had his men plant that. Work is good. Focusing only on the material in this life is not. Jesus' point here is being rich toward God and others is the better investment. This man wanted to know what the, the wise thing to do was, right? He's looking. He's like, I got all this extra food. And he's pretty wise in earthly terms. He says, hey, I'm not going to build more barns on my crop ground. I'm going to tear down the barns that I already have and build bigger ones. I don't want to flood the market with all this because who has taken economy classes? All right, if I flood the market, the value is going to go down. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to build bigger barns right where the old ones were. It's a wise business decision. But what it lacked was an eternal perspective, being rich toward God and others. Next, Jesus is going to get into the results of aiming too low. If we're honest, we all do it sometimes. But if we're honest, some of us, we look at this and we say, hey, <laughs> that, that was a rich dude. You know, I can think of some rich people, but I wouldn't call myself one of them. Okay? And maybe Jesus' disciples were, were thinking that too. You know, we left everything behind to follow Jesus. So he's talking about this rich dude. We can just sort of tune out and argue about who's greatest or whatever, you know. 
was one of their favorite hobbies. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're thinking this has nothing to do with us, but Jesus is going to quickly show them that it has something to do with everybody, whether you have a lot or a little. Here's why. Alexander McLaren said it this way, Torturing care is the poor man's form of worldliness as luxurious self-indulgence is the rich man's. Torturing care, you could call that worry as well. Worry is the poor man's form of worldliness as luxurious self-indulgence is the rich man's. You see that? It's just two sides of the same coin. He goes on, The one man is just the other turned inside out. When he's rich and has got plenty of outward goods, he has no anxiety because he thinks that they're supreme and all-sufficient. When he is poor and has not got enough of them, he has no rest because he thinks that they're supreme and all-sufficient. So whether you got it and you find your peace in it or you don't got it and everything you dream about is for that, both people think this is where it's at. And that's what Jesus is getting at. And he's going to talk about the results of aiming too low. The first one, when we aim too low, you know what happens? We get all worked up about the wrong stuff. We lose sleep over the wrong stuff. We expend needless worry on the wrong stuff. Verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, that's what connects it to the parable. Because of this parable I just told you, disciples, I want you to listen up too. You may have thought you're off the hook, but listen. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Why? What does it say in verse 23? For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. When we focus on the material in a worrisome way, it it, it leads us to anxiety. He's saying, don't do it. There is more to this life. Anybody going to see Stephen Curtis Chapman at the Elevate Festival? couple in the back there. Have you guys been down there a couple days already? One? Awesome. He wrote a song called More to This Life. And I think a couple of his lyrics sum up what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. He says, Today I watched in silence as people passed me by. And I strained to see if there was something hidden in their eyes. But they all looked back at me as if to say... Life just goes on. The old familiar story told in different ways. Make the most of your own journey from the cradle to the grave. Dream your dreams tomorrow because today life must go on. You all know the chorus, but there's more to this life than living and dying. More than just trying to make it through the day. More to this life. More than these eyes alone can see. And there's more than this life alone can be. Jesus is saying... You guys get worked up about all the wrong stuff. The word worry is strong too. Jesus uses a couple different words for it in this passage. In verse 22, the word literally means to be torn apart. How many of you have felt that when you're worried? Torn apart. Later on in the the passage, in verse 29 when we get it, it's the idea of being lifted up in suspense. Kind of like being lifted up on the waves of a tossing ocean, being tossed here and tossed there from the peak to the valley, back up to the peak and back down again, which, if you're like me, it makes me sick. The Anglo-Saxon word from where we get worry means to strangle. And maybe that's the most poignant 
picture. You feel that when you worry, right? He's saying you're getting worked up about the wrong stuff. That's the first result of aiming too low. The second result, when God is not the most important to us, we forget that we are important to Him. It's a natural progression. When, when He falls off of our radar, falls beneath all these worldly things, and He's not important to us, we forget how important we are to Him. That's why Jesus looks at the birds. Verse 24, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. It's interesting that he chose the raven for a couple reasons. One, the raven in Leviticus is listed as an unclean bird. And if you've ever seen them on the road around here eating their meals, you can understand why. Kind of nasty. Also, ravens are known for not feeding their young. Right after their young are born or shortly thereafter, they have to fend for themselves. So... God picks his raven, and he says, hey, I take care of them. They don't have like a full-time job like we think of it, and yet I feed them. How much more valuable you are than birds. He's obviously not saying don't work, don't plan, don't save. These things are all good, but he's saying don't worry. If I love birds, I love you. He goes on to say, consider Verse 27, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. How the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? One of my favorite hobbies Where we live, when I'm out for a run in the field behind our neighborhood, is to look for the wildflowers and and take pictures of them because there's such a a variety of flowers. They're they're amazingly beautiful. They're all very different, so many different colors and designs. And yet what, what Jesus is saying here is in this day, you know what they did with those beautiful flowers and those beautiful grasses? They had these clay ovens in their houses. And to get them started and to get them hot fast, they yanked that grass and threw it in their clay ovens and and got their ovens going. It creates a hot fire real quick, kind of like our 2001 tax papers did the other night in our backyard. (laughs) Carolyn had a pile under our desk, and we were having a fire, and she said, can I throw these in here? Man, you throw paper in a fire. I called her Nebuchadnezzar because I felt like she heated that thing seven times hotter. That's what they did with grass. And, And God's like saying, look, I made this grass so beautiful that it was... Grander than even Solomon, your greatest king, your most wealthy king ever. I, I did that to grass that you guys burn up. Of course I'm going to clothe you. And he says, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? He says, if you see me feed the birds and you see me clothe the flowers and you still doubt that I love you enough to feed and clothe you, you have little faith. It's a challenge to, to grow in that faith. Do you believe, child of God, that you're important to God this morning? That He values you? If you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation, Romans 8 basically says, look, He he gave you His Son. How's He going to hold back anything else that you need? He already gave you the very top. 
Why is he going to hold back the less? Mark Russell was introduced to a, a book written by him this week. He said it this way. He gave a little paraphrase of some of Jesus' ideas. I like this. Don't get too hung up on material possessions. There's not one thing you own that can't be eaten, stolen, or ruined. You should invest yourselves in the treasures no one can take from you. The world is full of birds who've never had a real job, and yet they seem to get by all right. As big a dandy as Solomon was, he never dressed half as good as a daisy. When your son asks you to pass the fish, do you toss him a cobra? No? Then why are you so worried about what your Heavenly Father will pass on to you? We don't need to worry about starving to death. We just need to learn to ask God to pass the fish. I like that. So that's the second result. When God is not important to us, we forget that we're important to Him. And last, we waste time and energy when we worry. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? What's he saying? He's like, worry doesn't help you. You can't add one hour. He can say one second to your life by worrying. And I don't know if you guys have ever had any good mentors in your life, but I've had some that when I keep doing something that doesn't help and doesn't work, I had one guy that would ask me good pointed questions, and one of his favorite questions was, how's that working for you? And I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. How's that worry working for you? Is, is it helping? James McDonald compares worry to putting sugar in a gas tank. You ever done that to someone's car? Had them do that to you? Not good for your car. Or a virus on your computer. That's another way he, he painted it. Doctors have weighed in on this. Dr. E. Stanley Jones said this, I am inwardly fashioned for faith. Not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. And he closes by speaking of what a John Hopkins University doctor says. Listen to this. We do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than the non-worriers, but that is a fact. But I, who am simple of mind, think I know. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain, cell, and soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. It's to live against the way God made us. So if you look at these three things and you say, well, I'm tired of getting worked up about the wrong stuff. I'm tired of forgetting that I'm important to God and, and I'm tired of wasting time and energy. What's the answer? The answer is to aim higher. To look higher than, than where we've been looking. And that's where Jesus goes in verse 29. Do not... Set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. 
but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. A couple things I want to point out here. Jesus is using some strong words here. He's basically saying that if your heart is set on food and clothes and things of this world only, you're acting like a pagan. You're acting like a pagan, and it makes sense for pagans to act that way because if they don't have a faith in a loving father, of course. If I don't believe in a loving father, I've, I've got to take care of it all myself. And yes, I will worry, and I, I will make that my focus because that's all there is here and now. Go for the gusto and, and worry about it all along the way. But God's saying, look, you have a heavenly father that knows that you need that stuff. And I think you would ask us today, do we believe that? Do you believe that you have a Heavenly Father that knows every one of your needs and longs to meet them? So if that's the case, how do we live? He says, seek His kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Don't set your heart on only the material. Set it on God's kingdom. How many of you like basketball? Okay. I love basketball. My boys, I'm proud of you guys. You both raise your hand there. Raising them up right. One of, one of the things is I watch the playoffs, and you get a team with an all-star level player. And one of the things that will often happen is the all-star level player will drive to the hoop, and he'll draw coverage from two people. It's called double teaming, okay? And when that happens, when, when an all-star player is double teamed, it inevitably leaves one other player on the team open. And a good all-star player, instead of trying to shoot an impossible shot when he's double teamed, will kick the ball out to the man who's now open so he can take the, the good shot for his team. And I thought about that in light of what God's saying here. If we... In my story, imagine God is that all-star player. He draws the coverage of my worries and my cares, and he says, I got that. I will daily bear your burdens. And he kicks the ball out to you and I, who operating in the power of the Spirit can shoot the kingdom shot. We are free now to share the gospel and make disciples and love our neighbors and speak the truth in love. All these things because God has drawn the coverage of our worries. I love that, that he does that for us. And, and one of the things I want to say is that in this passage, Jesus forbids worrying. He forbids being tossed about by the cares of this world. And I don't think Jesus would forbid it unless he believed we could not do that. He forbids it because he knows we can, in faith, stop being tossed about. Is he saying be blind to the facts of what's going on around us? Just ignore them? No. 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 In the Old Testament, God talks about the men of Issachar who understood their times and knew what to do about them. There's a very real sense that if we're faithful followers of God, we have to know what's going on in our individual lives, our family, in our world, and how do we respond. He's not saying ignore those things, but he is saying don't look only there. Look up to me as well and get the whole picture. 
He's saying, I know it's overwhelming, but lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Connie Mack was one of the greatest baseball managers ever. You got time this afternoon, Google him and read some of his accomplishments. But I didn't know that when he first came up, he kind of bombed and, and he was sent back down to the, the minor leagues for a while where he learned some things. And one of the things he learned was this. I discovered that worry was threatening to wreck my career as a baseball manager. I saw how foolish it was and I forced myself to get so busy preparing to win games that I had no time left to worry over the ones that were already lost. I like that. And I think the message from God today is, hey, why don't you all get so busy advancing my kingdom? Why don't you all get so busy loving me, sharing my gospel, and making disciples, and inviting people into your homes to speak the truth of my love to them? You don't got time to worry about the other stuff. He's not saying stop your job or any of that, but he's saying stop worrying about it. Now, what's the result of aiming higher? Aiming higher, right? George leans to shooting higher, generally. <laughs> he says in verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is he saying here? I thought about it like this. Two statements. What you value most is where your heart is. Let's ask ourselves real quick. What do I value most? Because that's where my heart is. And where your heart is will determine what you do. What you value most is where your heart is. And where your heart is will determine what you do. A couple things I want to bring out. His disciples had left everything. And they lived in a world that was hostile and becoming increasingly hostile to their master. Jesus would later tell them things like, they hated me, they will hate you also. He knows what's coming for them and for us, and he, he looks at them and he looks at his flock today and he says, do not be afraid, little flock. Now look at that and I say, wow, okay. There's a couple things I see. The flock may be little. We may feel like the church in the world is relatively small. But there's one thing this flock has. It's a great shepherd that never changes, never leaves us, never forsakes us. And he says to us, do not be afraid for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You think of all that God has given us in his son, in salvation, and the inheritance that's coming. 1 Peter 1.3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We got this new birth, living hope, and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And Jesus is looking and He's like, hey, if God's given you all that 
and he's going to give you more in eternity? Why are you so worried about food and clothes? I think of that phrase, do not be afraid, little flock. And I think about our, our country. If you're like me, Friday brought tears to your eyes for our country. It is a, a sad day for our country. It's not the only thing going wrong in our country, but it was another step, 180, away from where God wants us to be. And I think his message to the church in light of that is especially poignant. Do not be afraid, little flock. Eric Erickson said this, One thing is for sure, a faith that survived its followers being used as torches to light the streets of Rome will survive a modern age hell-bent on ruthlessly stamping it out. What I read there, and what I read when I read my New Testament, is the church, while it's nice when the culture lines up with you, the church does not need the culture to do God's work here. The church needs God, and it needs our great shepherd. And I also think in terms of the, lo the long view, Satan does win battles. But God wins the war. Do we believe that? I saw this just this week in a, in a poignant way. Many of you remember a couple months ago, I was out for my run and I met a friend named John in the neighborhood who had told me his grandson in Colorado, 14 years old, had committed suicide. And I hugged him and his wife that day and we prayed and they were leaving the next day to go up to be with their family. And I was out for a run again this week and I saw him again and I said, tell me about Colorado. And he said they went up there and on their grandson's bed, they found a Bible. And he told me something about his grandson that he had helped teach the little children in their church, in their Sunday school class. He was one of the helpers. And he said that at his grandson's funeral, 11 teenagers gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And one of them was one of the teenagers that had been harassing him. And I looked and I, I thought, Man, Satan had a plan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and he may have won a battle in that young man's life. But I believe God's looking at it now and saying, look, not only is that young man who trusted me in heaven, but there's going to be 11 more as well. Nice try. God wins the war. And, and I think when I think of that situation, we need to keep that in mind, whatever goes on around us. Satan may win a battle here or there, but God will win the war. And in the middle of the war, Ed Stetzer reminded me this week, he's the president of Lifeway Resources, our role hasn't changed at all. The world will continue to change. The church's role has not changed. Number one, we need to be a people of prayer. Do we pray? Do we pray for God's strength as we are His ambassadors in this world? Do we pray for our neighborhoods and our community and our nation and our world? Two, we need to continue speaking the truth of God's word in love. Speak what it says in love, which includes point three. 
share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world that needs it. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. My Bible tells me that Satan has blinded many in our world and they need the light of Jesus Christ in his gospel. Colossians 3 is the verse I want to close with. Would you close your eyes and, and bring all your worries, your anxiety to the Lord who says, I'll daily bear your burdens. I want you to listen to these words in Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Father, I thank you for these words that Jesus spoke. We need them. He spoke them because he knows there's a real battle. We all, from time to time, if we're honest, have worry and anxiety. And the invitation from Jesus is this morning is to set that down. To seek your kingdom. To preach your gospel and make disciples and, and walk with you above everything else. And as we do, we can trust that you, you, will take care of us. Lord, we're free to do some of the things you said in those last verses. We can, we can give away to the poor as you lead us to. We can lighten our, our load of possessions and, and bless others and bless your kingdom as you lead us to because we know you'll care for us. I love what you said, Jesus, about make purses that can be filled with eternal treasure. Just this picture of as we follow your lead and bless others with what you've given us, it's as though we open up a purse to you. We stand there with it open and you promise to fill it with what really matters, both now and in eternity. Lord, show us each what that looks like this week in our actions, in our, in our giving, in our service. Whatever opportunities you put in front of us, let us put treasure in heaven. Uh, Lord, pray that we'd walk out of here a people of faith this morning, freed from worry and fear and anxiety, with our eyes locked on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.